Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern family or follow at Pottern family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern family or at Pottern family on Twitter. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome to the Sorkin Cast. This is episode 46 of the podcast, where this week we are covering the West Wing episode from season two. It's episode 19, Bad Moon Rising. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com, and that's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links. You can find my rating system for these television shows, and you can find the podcatcher links, which are so important to me. If you could take the time to leave me a written review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever podcatcher app that you are listening to this podcast via, would be very much appreciated because it helps me stay more noticeable among the 30 billion West Wing podcasts that have seemed to have popped up in the last six months. <laughs> and the uh, it also helps me to know what you like and dislike about the show. And I include your reviews in our feedback podcast. And the next feedback podcast will be coming up July, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of the 15th, 16th, somewhere in there. But your deadline to get me the... Uh, feedback that you have for anything regarding season two of West Wing would be July 12th, 2016. That's your hard deadline. It's also your deadline to submit your favorite and least favorite episode of season two, favorite and least favorite scene, favorite and least favorite main character, and favorite and least favorite guest star. We call those our West Wing awards, and we'll do those for season two. And that will be included in the podcast as well. How do you do all of that contacting? Well, you send an email to SorkinCast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at SorkinCast on Twitter, or you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840. And all of those ways will get you into our feedback podcast as long as you submit, again, by July 12th, 2016, in regards to Season 2 of The West Wing. With all of that said... It's a great pleasure. This gentleman reached out to me via the contact links and, and expressed an interest in appearing on as a guest. He demonstrated a great amount of knowledge about the show. And we welcome to the podcast, Yannick. Welcome, sir. Well, uh, hi, Matt. Hi, everybody. And thanks for having me. It's great pleasure to have you here. I You told the story to me on in email, but I would love to hear what got you into the West Wing because obviously... Um, folks, if you don't know, uh, he is not from the United States. I don't know. Did you, were you able to watch it originally, um, uh, from the U S uh, television stations or how did you get into the West wing? Actually, it's, uh, it's quite funny because yes, we do have, uh, CTV in, in Canada, which is a Canadian television, uh, private network that, uh, takes a lot of the shows from the United States and pass them, you know, simultaneously. So that's not an issue at all, but. For a couple of seasons, if I recall correctly, seasons like three and four, NBC was passing the West Wing at 9 p.m. on Wednesdays, while CTV had another show that that had higher ratings at that same time slot. So they got permission from NBC to show 
the West Wing on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. So I was one hour ahead of all the U.S. fans wow. on what happened in, in the West Wing. Obviously, in those years, Facebook and Twitter and all that, social media did not exist because if not, I would have been spoilers. No, 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 no. I would not have done it. But that's how I got into the West Wing. And I, being Canadian, uh, it, it was my best way to learn about U.S. politics and a uh, great fan of Swartin's work. Great, man. I really appreciate uh, the fact that you reached out to me, too. And why don't we just jump right in by talking a little bit about the statistics of the episode, more or less. Again, Season 2, Episode 19, Bad Moon Rising, with a story by Felicia Wilson, a teleplay by Aaron Sorkin, and directed by Bill Johnson. The episode first aired on April 25th of 2001, and it was viewed by an estimated 16.8 million viewers. I go by a little website that uh, people can join, and then they rank different episodes of different television shows. It's called Geos.TV. It's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, Yannick. And they, uh, collectively, out of the averages of everybody else's ratings, have ranked this episode 12th out of 158 possible episodes. Um, so it's it's a lot of people's favorites, obviously. And uh, I, I can't wait to talk about it with you. Here's the episode summary. As Leo and the president talk to the White House counsel, Oliver Babish, about the president's situation, Josh deals with a financial crisis in Mexico. Sam deals with some Gage Whitney skeletons. And CJ has to try and find a leak within the staff while Toby stews over it a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so is there particular characters that you follow that make you like episodes better than others or is it just a storyline or what really jumped out at you about this one well there's two things uh now we are getting to the end of the second season and we kind of see that especially with uh, 17 people the episode right before you saw that the concept of the ms not being divulged and, and being very secretly just put into the lap of Toby in the last episode, you see how, whoa, this is going to be a big issue. And now you're starting to get what will be the implication of growing in that issue. That's where that episode really starts the ball rolling, you know? And it started with the Stackhouse filibuster even at the end, you know, with the ball bouncing and Toby thinking. And now the ball and the ball and the ball is rolling and rolling and rolling. But on top of it, one of my favorite uh, I would say, a special guest in the, the West Wing, uh, Oliver Babish, appears, and uh, man, he, he does it so great. Out of all of the, the White House councils, and really uh, this season started to hit on it a lot more than any anything prior, but, uh, you know, the Lionel Tribby thing was good, and I, I, I remember commenting just recently uh, to my buddy John, who's on some of these podcasts with me, that, you know, if Lionel Tribby was a White House counsel and Bartlett had walked down into the office with this, I kind of have a feeling he'd have just thrown a hissy and walked right out the door. It could have been. And actually, there is a little mention of that where he's not sure if he's going to stay. But uh, at, the, at the end, I think that he's going to keep up with it. Right on. Well, why don't we get into the what I do every week, a walk and talk uh, kind of feature, because every week in every episode, seemingly, of The West Wing, uh, there's at least one scene where a couple of our characters are walking through the hallways of The West Wing or some location and discussing issues as they go along. 
And for this week's Walk and Talk, I chose uh, to do the President and Leo as they're going to see Babish. He's waiting for us. We really need to see him now. What better time? Well, later. Let's go. Five White House consuls in two and a half years. Corcoran Gates, Solomon Tribby. Why can't I keep a head lawyer around here? Because they all show up thinking they're going to be a counselor to the president and you never let them in. I don't like new people. Oliver Babish isn't a new person. You know each other. Your kids know each other. You built hospitals together. He was Midwest finance chairman on the campaign. Never played chess, though, have we? No. See? You're scared of Babish. Oh, like you're not. No, because we are both men of Chicago. What is it with people from Chicago that they're so happy to have been born there? I meet so many people who can't wait to tell me they're from Chicago, and when I meet them, they're living anywhere but Chicago. You wouldn't understand. He looks down his nose at me because I'm not a lawyer. Yes. I didn't go to law school. I got a Ph.D. in economics instead. Your parents were very proud. Yeah, and all that happened was I won a Nobel Prize and got elected president. So I guess that decision didn't really pay off. Yeah. Should I run back and get my Nobel Prize? I think he knows you've got one. Yeah, he's been here three months. He's got a nicer office than I do. He's got a nicer office than I do. That matters less to me. Good morning, Mr. President. Hey, Oliver. Come on in. Yeah, you know, I really just kind of brought this clip up because I felt like it was a good idea to not only give you a kind of an introduction to the way Bartlett feels about White House, this particular White House counsel and the situation he's going into, but also just to demonstrate the relationship between this White House and White House counsels in general. Uh, But I noticed that you thought uh, you, you picked up a lot more out of this than I did. Well, actually, there's two things. I I I think I'm not the only one that has that specific issue with continuity, let's say. First season, you have in the episode, if I recall correctly, the shortlist, uh, you have a conversation between Josh and Leo in his office, and Josh is asking, you know, is there anything else that the problem, and then Leo admits, well, there was pills. And then Josh, you know, just reassures him and says, well, you know what? You're a Boston Irish Catholic. Uh, so, you know, some issues that you had and so on and so forth. And now Leo just says that he's from Chicago. Uh, that one is the one thing that really popped in my mind. I was, what is this coming from? And the Chicago thing will, you know, I'm not doing any spoilers, but the fact that he's from Chicago will pop up some other time and not in a huge percent, but still they will go forth with the fact that he's from Chicago. So first season continuity, that was a little issue. But then there's a second thing that is so subtle. Right there, the president says, you have, you know, he focuses a lot on, never played chess with me, as a measuring stick, you know, of some sort. Well, in the second act, as we could say, you know, after the the first break, then you have, a pan zoom on a chessboard in in the council's office right before they go to everybody else. So I don't know if that was a, a play that they wanted to do on the fact that, well, they never played chess, but obviously you could because there was a chessboard right there. Uh, that's uh, little things that I kind of catch on when I walked up the stage. Wow, that's great attention to detail. I, I had missed the, that one in particular. 
there is some funny in that particular walk and talk. And because of that, uh, I always also try to include some of the humorous clips from the episodes. Usually my sense of humor is different than a lot of people's, but I choose what I think is funny in an episode. Uh, and there's always typically anyway, there's, there's a lot of funny in an episode. Some episodes get super serious, but for the most part, at least Sorkin tries to make one joke or another, uh, even if he can't keep a Bible for the continuity of his show. <laughs> but uh, here, have a listen to these humorous quotes from this week's episode. I couldn't disagree more, Cal. As long as these people are funding their public school districts with property taxes, neither the value of the schools nor the value of their property is going to go up. It's a vicious circle. It's terrible. And it has to be stopped. So we're going to do something about it. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Anything else? No, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything you can tell me about the tanker? Carol's going to give you the nets from the Coast Guard. Do you know whether it had something to do with the navigation or the steering? Well, all that's being investigated, but I'm assuming that when a ship runs into the shore, it has something to do with either the navigation or the steering. Yeah. What the hell, CJ? Anything good in the paper this morning? Who's the senior White House official? I don't know. You're telling me you can't control... A, a reporter can just pick up a phone and call anyone? Yeah. Why? Because we don't live in Tripoli. Okay, it's going to be one of these now, right? Yeah. You object to the bailout. I do. Because in the world of Donatella Moss, we should all love one another just as long as it doesn't cost you anything. Well, yes, I suppose that's one small-minded way of putting it. Close the door. Donna. With me on the other side? Thank you. You're required to wear the Class A's for any business on the Hill or in the White House. I never knew that. You never noticed that every soldier, sailor, and Marine who's walked in or has been in a dress uniform? I'm less visually observant than others, but I make up for it. How? With cunning and guile. Okay. Hey. Hello, Sam. You did some decorating? Yeah. A woman's touch. It was a guy named Kirk. Hang on. I know this piece of music. I love it. Isn't it great? No, but there's a reason I like it. Well, it's beautiful. But there's another reason. Hang on. It's called air on a G-string. Could that be? Yes. Thank you. How about fencing? Fencing. You're taking fencing? I'm not taking fencing. He's not taking glee club either. Fencing's good because you learn the philosophy of self-defense. Well, I usually don't get a lot of people pulling an epi on me in my neighborhood. And my philosophy of self-defense has a lot to do with running as fast as I possibly can. I call Terry Cashin. Why? I don't know. Why does anybody do anything? What are you talking about? I'm a mad woman, CJ, and it doesn't stop with the leak. What do you mean? I call the authorities. Send them to my parents' house in Madison. Why? They'll find the Lindbergh baby in the basement. Okay. Also some post-its reminding me where I put Jimmy Hoffa. Get out! I framed Roger Rabbit. Get out! You mind if I give you a suggestion that may make this go faster? Sure. If you dunk the suspect in a deep well of water and they drown, it means they're not a witch. All right, that's it. I saw Lizzie Proctor speaking with the devil! Shut up! I just love that, that Josh is hazing CJ through Donna. And that Donna was willing to go through with that. I just thought that was hilarious. And I'm pretty sure that she had fun doing it at the same time. Like oh, yeah. It was a, a partnership. High five after they finish. It's almost. It's pretty good. <laughs> what, what did you have? Well, it's the whole investigation. Come on. Quote, unquote, investigation from C. Yeah. Uh, she 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 tries to keep a, a serious face through all of it, but every hurdle that she just steps on and it crumbles, and really every time somebody just makes a big joke out of that investigation. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Hold their heads underwater if they survive or whatever. I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, why don't we get into talking about the plot, main plot of this episode? We'll start with our first clip where we meet White House counsel Oliver Babish and the president comes to him for legal advice. Josh begins his quest to find money for a collapsed Mexican economy. Sam finds out an oil tanker that he helped purchase with Gage Whitney has wrecked. And Toby makes CJ find out about a leak. And Babish then comes back to get into the president's case with him and Leo. I need the amicus brief on sovereign immunity, federal land use. Yes, sir. Would you like us to pack your big hammer? Okay, you know what? Don't make fun of the big hammer. Big Hammer happens to be a gavel given to my father's father by Justice Louis Brandeis. I need a dictaphone. You've got one on your desk. Doesn't work. What's wrong with it? Doesn't work. He's asking. It's stuck on record. It won't stop recording things. So it's just what you want lying around the White House Counsel's office because there's never been a problem with that before. I don't want you to worry that much about it. Sir. I'm easing in. Okay. Well, Oliver, it really boils down to this. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I need you to tell me whether or not I've engaged 16 people in a massive criminal conspiracy to defraud the public in order to win a presidential election. Okay. Mexico collapsed? Yeah, can you believe it? Mexico collapsed over the weekend. No, actually, just this morning. How does a country collapse on a Monday morning? By not slowly devaluing the peso the way I told them to. You told them to devalue the peso? The Treasury Secretary did, but I was in the room. About three hours ago, a single-hull VLCC carrying four million gallons of crude oil ran up on a shoal three miles south of Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Whoa, I don't have much. I'm going to give you everything I've got. Coast Guard has deployed containment booms around the vessel, and they're siphoning oil. Bonnie, what happened? What do you mean? The oil tanker. I'm hearing it now. Ginger, what do you know about the oil tanker? It hit Delaware. I'm amazed it found Delaware. Republican leaders already think, Shalek and Stark, they already think they can get the votes on a compromise measure. Look, all they were scared of was a veto. They're going to build it now. They're going to do it. And our phones all day long are going to be ringing with Democrats who want us dead. Seth Gillette's going to, let me tell you something, this time he's going to be right. Toby, I'll talk to Leo and Josh. I'll talk to the president. I'll get a clarification. Beyond that, what do you want me to do? I want you to find out who the senior White House official was and put his ass in my office by the end of the day. Before we go any further, there's something that I want to make sure is absolutely clear. What's that? You and I don't enjoy attorney-client privilege. What's he talking about? He's a government lawyer. The privilege doesn't exist. So you want to be very careful about what you say in this room right now, Mr. President, because if subpoenaed to give a deposition, I'm not going to lie under oath. I don't want to be careful about what I say in this room. Well, then we should end this meeting, and you should retain private counsel. I want you. I meant I don't need to be careful. Okay. I'd like to ask you some questions now. These are preliminary and with no preparation and in no particular order. Yeah. Have you ever been party to a lawsuit? A meter reader slipped on a patch of black ice in my driveway and I got dragged into some pain in the ass thing over my great aunt. And you gave a deposition in both those cases? Yeah. Do you recall any time in those depositions when you were asked about your health? Oliver, why are we talking about my great aunt's will and the meter reader? Because if you were asked about your health and lied in a deposition, that's the ball game. We're all going home. He never lied. Leo, I'd like to hear the president say that. I never lied. You never had to testify under oath about your health? 
No. Never answered any interrogatories or depositions about your health? No. Okay. Mr. President, I have some more questions. Is there time now? Well, the Mexican economy crashed. An oil tanker busted up about 120 miles from here, and 13% of Americans are living in poverty. So, yeah, I can hang out with you and answer insulting questions for a while. Good. You know, this is twice we've seen Bartlett get kind of indignant when it comes to all of the hard questions, like when Toby asked him, and, and now Oliver's starting to ask him. Um, for some reason, I give Oliver more of a pass for doing it because it's his job, and he never apologizes for doing his job, right down to even when the president is snippy with him about you know the insulting questions. His response is just good, and, and that's exactly the response that was needed because this is a whole different ball game than Toby's um, idealism overflowing a, a, a little bit in perhaps a, a, a bit of a misstep of a direction. Um, this is Oliver just nailing it down to what has to be figured out in order to decide whether this is even worth his time. Completely on top of it, uh, if you remember at the beginning of the, of the clip that you put, you had the POTUS uh, uh, saying, or the president saying, I oh, use the name, you know, to I'm easing in, in uh, to Leo in regards to the time that he took before asking Oliver. And, and the whole thing is that with Toby, it was a close staff uh, working, you know, day in, day out. White House counsel is, you go to him when you need answers, when you when you are about to ask some questions and want clarification on something. So he's going to regard his opinion and the way that he's reacting as, okay, this is much more the level where the issue is going to be. And actually, when... Uh, you have the president, you know, that uh, uh, goes with, uh, you know, I don't want to be careful when I'm in this office. And then he sees the reaction of, of Badish and then, oh, okay, no, I meant I don't need to be. Uh, and stuff like that that will come back, you know, in further episodes in regards to law. Uh, but it's especially when Babish focuses on, focuses, sorry, on the medical deposition part. You never had to do a medical deposition. You never had to do this, that, that, that. And that's when POTUS really realizes the scope of the situation. And then when even Leo answers for him, and he realizes Oliver Badish says, no, 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 I want the president to answer that question. Okay, uh, that's where the, the, the scope and the, really the intensity of the situation kind of hits the president. And there's one thing that is not in the clip it's right after that scene. It's actually during that scene that it's the end of it when Babish uh, starts to count who knows about it. So the medical, your family, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, okay, there's one last person. Who's the last one? And then it's Toby. And then you see the face of Oliver Babish really, uh, oh, okay, how did that go? He already, Oliver Babish already knows. Toby must have taken very bad. And that's when he really sees the uphill battle that's going to come. Yes. Well, I, I think our, all Oliver would have to do would be walk upstairs and listen to Toby ranting and raving <laughs> <laughs> to know that it did not go so well with Toby. I mean, he's just stressing. <laughs> he's stressing so much. I mean, because now, of course, leaks 
have suddenly become much more paramount to him than they ever were before. I mean, they always were, of course, a little bit to any White House they would be. Um, but, you know, if the president and, and Leo are going to, like, miscount the number of people who knew, if it be, you know, they've been saying six, he's the 16th when actually he was the 17th, um, it just seems like that uh, Toby then would suddenly be, you know, if a, a mistake that simple can be made, how huge could this happen it, it, as he gets to with CJ at the end of this episode? It's like, you know, these are the small potatoes, but we got to make sure we're ready for the big ones because um, that's everything. This is everything that's only been on Toby's mind ever since that conversation. And uh, he does, he's just doesn't get any better for a little while. Got that information. They they say it not in the clip again, but they say it that it was, if I recall correctly, on last Friday. Uh, so most probably now this is must be the Monday. So Toby had the whole weekend to just have his mind working on it and and really planning. Oh my God, what's going to happen? And first thing at work, there's a leak. Oh boy. Yes. Toby loses it right there. Yeah. And I have there's one thing I have to give. Um, you, you put, and I'm so happy that you put it in the clip. It was when the president says, okay, I, I want, I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to tell me if I defrauded the public and so on. And then you have, you know, Albert Batters that takes the big hammer and just destroys the, the dictaphone that is stuck on the record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing I really, really want, I want to give congrats to all the technical you know, the technical area behind the scenes, for example, that is obviously the foley that did that noise of the dictaphone being, you know, destroyed. That was not on set. Right. Uh, it's all those little details that are so high quality, uh, the high quality of the photo photography, of uh, the lighting, of the music, and the foley, obviously. They really did a good job in all the episodes. The West Wing is, that's, that's why I recognize that series as one of the greatest because of the whole package they do a great job and i love that you brought that up because just in the last episode uh john and i were talking about how well they use sound in moments where they don't have music like uh the, during those long pauses between toby and and bartlett uh when bartlett is telling toby about the the ms um, you hear the clock ticking and it just becomes a representation of the tension building, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, and it's just brought up in the mix just enough to make it become a character in the story as much as the other guys. Mm, I even remember from 17 people when the glass, you know, knocks on the table just to, this, that's why the president is so mad at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, as, as for some of the other stuff, I mean, we saw Sam in the very beginning of the season in Two Gunmen. We we, we see this boat, <laughs> basically that he that he helped buy, build the liability shield for get purchased, um, even though he walked out, I guess technically before it happened. But now he's got some chickens coming home to roost for himself. But it actually it took me a minute when I was watching this episode for the first time way back when, uh, to realize why this would bother Sam so much. And it took until later on in the episode. I'm like, Oh yeah, now I remember, um, on a rewatch though, it sticks out to me a lot more, of course. And that's the joy of Netflix. You can rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. <laughs> I have to say, even though I rewatched the West Wing, I would say, I 
can be exaggerate, exaggerating, but I'm not. I think I watch the whole seven seasons uh, every year or so. And I even now, I know how the episode will go and so on, and then I catch that little thing and so on. That is a big one, obviously, but there are some other things that you could rewatch the series and another point will hit you on later on for sure. So it's a great rewatch at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agreed there. And I love rewatching the Josh and Donna stuff simply for the fact that, I mean, I know I cut a lot of it out of this clip, folks, but if you're watching the episode, you know that uh, a good portion of their time uh, throughout the whole course of this episode is this kind of just this little mini play that Josh and Donna seemed like they they do about every third week or so where Donna takes the view, the opposing viewpoint. And I'm not sure if she does it just to get under Josh's skin. Sometimes I think she does, you know, uh, but uh, the, that way you always have this nice little kind of play going on between the two of them uh, so that they can talk about a certain issue. And in this case, it's the Mexico issue, which we heard Bartlett bring up. But uh, between the two of them, that's always entertaining to me. And uh, there's another, you know, uh, in a more technical point, in a, if you look at a script, you always need an exposition way or form. And Donna, later on in the seasons, perhaps it goes a bit less, but for the first one, two, three, even four seasons, she's the exposition fairy. Let, let's be frank and honest. She has that role in most of the episodes. It's super fun and it's funny the way they do it right there, but that's her role. It's really to bring up well, what about this? And then you have Josh that does the, you know, the explanation, but she's the fairy. She's the exposition fairy that comes with the, let's bring up the reason why we're, we're saying all of this. Uh, and I love her role into that. It fits super well. And, and the way they go back and forth between them with, uh, you know, the Mexico guy and uh, so on. It's very, very, very well done. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, let's move on to clip two where Josh and CJ talk about their day so far. Charlie gets ready for college. Sam finds out that everything he's had reservations about regarding the oil tanker seems to have been correct. Babish, of course, continues questions, but is still unsure of his assessment. And CJ begins her impossible task of finding the leak. How's it going in there? The number of people whose permission I need before I can do whatever the hell I want. Let me tell you something. There's really a lot to be said for fascism. Funny you should mention that. Toby? He wants me to find the leak. What about asking Cashin? Cashin isn't going to go over on the source. Then you got to get a swinging light bulb in there and just do it. Yeah, this from the guy who had four kinds of aneurysms when he had to interrogate the staff on drug use. That was a lot different. Because it was you? No, because that was an investigation into personal behavior. This guy compromised the policy initiative. That's a fair point. And I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm just saying I'm not going to find him. You're absolutely not going to find him. But I should spend the day doing it anyway. Yes. Because Toby's pissed. Hey, you know what? I found that if you accept that as a good enough reason for doing something, life becomes easier. Thank you for the fortune cookie wisdom. You bet. How many AP credits do you have from high school? I have six in English, six in math and calculus, three in European history, and three in French. You're telling me you've never been to college, and after taking two classes this summer, you're going to be like a junior? With a pretty decent GPA. Charlie, just how smart are you? I've got some game. What happened to the ship? It suffered some kind of malfunction, causing a steering loss about 10 miles offshore. The captain dropped anchor to avoid a run-in with other marine traffic. If he dropped anchor 10 miles out, what's he doing here? The anchor broke. The anchor broke? Yeah. Anchors break? There's no anchor that stops that boat at 18 knots. 
How bad is this going to end up being? Bad. Everyone's in it. Coast Guard, EPA, NTSB, state, local. But there are only so many pairs of hands. And, you know, getting oil out of water? You try it sometime. Yeah, listen, thanks again for coming by. You want me to keep you posted during the day? I'd appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks. Were I to die, my family would not miss my government salary. What about health insurance? I don't have any anymore. Why not? I'm the husband of a doctor. And as a governor and president, the various governments I've led generously... Uh... Yeah, let me cut to the end of the page, sir. Have you ever signed any document for health insurance or life insurance or any document which falls under the pains and penalty of perjury in which you were asked about your health and did not disclose you have MS? No. Yeah. You should probably make the call. Yeah. Excuse me. What do you think? I am nowhere close to being able to answer that question. Hey, Jamie, how you doing? I'm a little pissed about the quote this morning. I know how you feel. My team's been working on this for nine months. They're going to jump on this. Yes, and I'd like to ask you some questions. Sure. There was a meeting about vouchers in the Roosevelt Room last Thursday. Were you part of it? I've been in on all those meetings from the beginning. Right, and have you talked to Terry Cashin of the Baltimore Sun in the last four days? What? I was wondering if in the last four days... You're asking me if I'm the leak? I was going to be a little more circumspect. I can tell. Jamie. I've been working on this for nine months. And frankly, and I don't say this to you enough, doing a very good job. Thank you. Do you happen to know who the leak is? Listen up. I'm not the leak. I don't know who the leak is. If I did, I wouldn't tell you. Any other questions? No. No, we wrap that up tight. Thank you. Carol? Yeah? How many more of these do I have? 1138. Okay, after five of them, I'm just going to confess. Ready for the next one? Sure. <laughs> Poor CJ. Oh, I feel bad for her. Uh, she got stuck with, with, with quite the... Uh, she, she cannot do it. It's impossible, and she knows it. That's the whole thing. She's just doing it for show, for Toby. But her mind, in her, in her mind, she's really trying to figure out, what is this? Why are we doing an investigation? Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally agreed. Yeah. It's just, she's, uh, she knows she's a hurt. She's going to beat her head against a wall all day long. Uh, but it does get funnier even as it goes along. This first one, the guy was just flat out indignant and you could really feel bad for her. But after a while, it's just... wasn't it, a, wasn't it a bit on the nose method of investigating? <laughs> and were you the guy that said to the journalist, you know, what is this? <laughs> well, that's how you, you know, second question that you have the guy. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was. Uh, I I think that's just CJ's way of just wanting to get it over with, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, is I I think about the whole Josh and, and the drugs thing uh, from the uh, season one, and both of them had a certain level of frustration to it, but the 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 whole thing is that. And actually, both of the investigations is, is kind of what led to major problems with 
first with Josh and, and then Leo being the chief of staff. And then uh, this time it, it's Toby just trying to cover, make sure that they're ready for this kind of leak if it were to happen for the president. So they're, they're both small, funny issues, but they do relate to much bigger things. But I like what Sidney tells him, uh, which is the fact that, yeah, but your investigation, like, you, you had an issue investigating, but Josh just reminds you, no, 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 my investigation was on personal behaviors of people. This is a leak. Okay, he, he pumps it up a bit more by saying, you know, it was a big policy issue and so on. But obviously, it's not in the same sense. But I do agree that when there's an investigation being made by people that are not investigators inside of the Western staff, there could be always a little something in the back. And the reason why we're doing this is because it's going to burst in one episode or two episodes or during a couple of episodes. And uh, that's something that uh, I will uh, most probably, you know, put attention to uh, next time I watch uh, the whole series again. Excellent. Excellent. Good thoughts. Um, as far as Sam and his talk with this naval officer, I mean, he he was just kind of hearing more and more about the oil tanker, and, and that was kind of painful for me. I, I thought Rob Lowe did just a real good job of, of just like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, what can I do? And the fact that he couldn't talk them into buying a, a better boat, you know, that's, that's really all he can do, but... Uh, the liability shield thing is what's getting to him. And that's what, of course, he'll be talking to uh, Ainsley about in the next clip. But I just, I felt really bad for Sam. He just really was, uh, the more he saw about it, he was looking for any kind of upside that he could find. Um, and he just couldn't find it because she was just uh, laying it out on the line for him. And actually, she was just being very thorough and, and okay, this is what's happening. This is what's going to be next and so on and so forth. And, Obviously, yeah, you described it well. Sam was just, <laughs> okay, this is intense. But at the same time, in it, let's go back now in real timeline. That episode was aired in 2000 or 2001. I'm not sure, but I think it was beginning 2001. So it was after it's on Valdez, uh, but it was prior to the water rising that just happened, let's say, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. The whole problem of oil, I, I thought that, you know, Exxon Valdez, I don't know for you in the United States, but in Canada, even though it was on the shore of Alaska, uh, which is not that far from the shores of BC, uh, we saw it as, okay, this was the first real big oil spill that created big problems. And we know that it's going to be an issue. So I thought that Sam reacting like, Oh, it's going to be tough to take oil out of the water. Yeah, well, I thought that that was a pretty general, everybody knowing that if oil spills in the water, it's going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be intense. Yeah. Uh, perhaps now, you know, nowadays with fracking, I know that uh, uh, that's one thing that happens a lot in northern United States. Uh, the issues are no more that, you know, the type of oil spill in water, but more perhaps this, you know, oil getting in the ground, that's uh, another type of issue, but um, that's more, uh, you know, type of situation that could happen nowadays. 
Exactly. And even, you know, this kind, this kind of environmental issue is something that Sorkin tackles uh, fairly often. I mean, even in the pilot of the newsroom um, that they covered, it was like that group of people were covering Deepwater Horizon, uh, Deep Horizon. What is it called again? Deepwater Horizon. Deepwater Horizon. Yeah. So um, they, you know, this is this is an issue that Aaron Sorkin likes to come back to often. And it's kind of interesting that he put this at the beginning of the season for Sam and then made it pay off quickly um, here as even before we get to the final three episodes. So um, maybe it was his last chance, given where everything is going with the MS, that he felt like he had a chance to do that. But he does like to take his environmental issues and, and put them out in front a lot. Hey, and that's Sorkin for you. You know, he really gives out his messages in a nice package, but he puts out his messages out there, and that's what I like about his uh, his show. All right. Charlie is always so impressive to me. Uh, you know, Sam was just talking to Charlie before he he does all of this with the with the uh, naval officer, and um, you know, there's there's kind of a lot of development in here that you didn't maybe things that you suspect or things that you know just from observing him uh, the way he engages with the president and everything um and it, it explains his ability to go toe-to-toe with the president about things like japan or whatever when they're getting off a plane or what have you um and they do their little shuffle of insults from time to time but uh like he says he's got some game and i i love that they make this kid not just a kid who was given an opportunity but a kid who deserved the opportunity yeah, if you have the stage to, to, you know, shine your light, well, Charlie, even though, let's say, in the first season, was perhaps a bit more shy, as, you know, the character of Charlie was a, a bit shy and would not necessarily do it in front of all the staff, that type of, you know, banter and joking back and forth and so on with the president. But now you really do see, oh boy, that guy has, look at the big brains on Charlie, you know, it's, uh, he, he's not... He's not the, the just young kid that has no clue, even though in a part uh, that was played more in the uh, in the quick jabs at the beginning, uh, like you see that perhaps the, the not not the not the senior staff, but the assistants, uh, they're not necessarily you know looking at Charlie as being someone that no no that guy could be your boss at one point. Uh, he could be working as a senior staff at some point in his life, for sure. And uh, they were kind of not necessarily taken seriously, and we'll, we'll see it in the next clip, if I recall correctly, uh, that Charlie knows when to ring an alarm, you know, and raise a red flag, importantly, and he knows when to do it and not to do it, and uh, perfect character there. Yeah. You know, the the other funny thing about Sam for me in regards to this is that he's realizing how many other people are just as smart as him in the room. <laughs> he had Winifred, yeah. he had Winifred Hooper, Hooper back in the Stackhouse filibuster, you know, this 19 year old intern from the GAO saying, well, you can, you know, you can come to work for me after I graduate from school. And I wonder if not kind of reliving that again once he realizes how much game Charlie's got. True. And most probably, you know what, Sam's in all of his life, he was, you know, at, when he was in college, it must have been, okay, he was top of his class. When he was in the law firm, he was in a fast track to become, you know, an, a, a, a senior counselor, obviously, but then to even be a partner. Uh, but now he realizes, okay, I'm surrounded with people that knows their game and they know what they're doing. 
that's uh, that's quite interesting actually when you are surrounded with people that are very talented as talented as you are and you're not just above the herd but you're really with the people that could be you know a big challenge with you that is very interesting I totally agree. I totally agree. The only thing we didn't really touch on was uh, Oliver and, and the president and Leo. Uh, any impressions on any of that? Uh, well, uh, let's say that it's a good setup for a medical forum that could come in a future clip. I would say that that's probably the case. Um, and again, you know, just uh, Oliver just being very thorough. You know, let me cut to the chase. <laughs> you know, that, I don't want to. I don't want to waste your time or mine with banter. It's like. Have you ever perjured yourself? That's basically what I'm asking. So I, I love that Oliver is just so direct and, and um, again, never apologizes for being that way. I love it. In our third clip, Donna speaks up about the bailout. Sam goes to Ainsley with an idea about his role in the oil tanker purchase. Charlie's college forms makes him realize something that he has to tell Leo. And while Babish is concerned about there being no chink in the president's armor, Charlie reveals to Leo that he may have found one. We did the same thing six years ago. The loan was paid back ahead of schedule. And we did the same thing four years before that too, right? Yes. And five years before that? Yes. AA's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I'm not cheap, nor am I xenophobic. I just think it's time for some tough love. Well, not right here in front of everybody, Donna, but if you want to run home and get your equipment... Go away from me. Wow. Talk about your chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. But what I was thinking was this. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was thinking if I could be deposed for the plaintiffs. At the 11th hour, I had a change of heart. For whatever reason, I had a change of heart. And I told them the boat wasn't good enough, particularly with regards to the steering and navigation systems, which, of course, they already knew. And I suggested they spend more money, and they said... Stop talking right now. 11 million extra Sam, dollars. They left me out of the room. Stop talking or I'm walking out. Neither you nor your clients abdicated attorney-client privilege when you left Cage. If you gave that deposition, you'd be disbarred. And even if you were willing to be disbarred, there's no judge in the country who'd allow privilege testimony. Ainsley, unless a company like this is forced to fork over so much money, they don't want to go on living unless they're compelled to pay $500 million. There's no incentive for them to pay the extra $11 million to make the boat safer. Yes. All right. It was just an idea. Hey. You never know. With the liability shield, maybe you're not as good as you think. Yeah, I am. These forms are really out of control, you know that? Look at this. Six forms for financial aid. Three forms for housing. And I'm not using their housing. A form for roommate preference. And I'm not using their housing. Emergency contacts. General activity information. Transfer of credits. And a 14-page form. What? Charlie, what? Hang on, please. Margaret, I need to speak to Leo. He's in a meeting with Oliver Babish. Yeah. I'm sorry. I need to speak to him right now, please. In the two and a half hours we've been sitting here, have you discovered one thing that he's done wrong? No. So what's your problem? That's my problem, Leo. Are you out of your mind? He did everything right. He did everything you do if your intent is to perpetrate a fraud. Come in. Excuse me. Mr. McGarry, Margaret just called to say that Charlie Young needs to speak with you. I can't right now. It'll have to wait. She said to mention something about an old friend from home. Charlie, you can talk to me. What is it? 
Charlie and Zoe and Ellie went to college. When they went to college, they would have had to fill out a health form. What are you on the form? They ask for a number of things, including a complete family medical history. How did you know that the president was sick, Charlie? If you're under 18 when you start as a freshman, if you're under 18, you need a parent's signature. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I it's okay. I just you thought did, it was. You absolutely did the right thing. I think one of the things that I, I I would like to talk about first, Yannick, is just Charlie in general, and I, I know you have some notes on this too. But I just wanted to say that you know, this last talk with Leo, one thing that I love is that the Charlie doesn't talk about the president's personal life with anyone, not even Leo, and not even the chief of staff. Not even the chief of staff. He is the best body man that anybody could ever hire, is he not? Oh, yeah. And uh, there was, for the clip, you, you kind of just cut that little extra four seconds, but Leo really asked him, like, three times in a row, mm -hmm. how did you know? A little two seconds. How did you know? Another three or four seconds. How did you know? And I, I did not understand that part out of Leo. I thought that Leo, after this, just the second time, okay, he could have just, okay, he's doing his job, I'm not going to go there, and then let Charlie, but Charlie took, I don't know, another four or five seconds before starting to explain, and I did not understand, like, it, it was great to build up, you know, that intensity, but I did not understand that, that reason why Charlie did not start talking to, to Leo as soon as the door was closed. He's the one who even called Leo in. But okay, it's a little little thing, you know. Well, it does it does add that uh, extra amount of tension that that uh, good drama has. Um, sometimes it's a little exaggerated, and a lot of Sorkin's drama is over exaggerated, in my opinion. Um, but it does make for compelling television. And I don't know if that was just a, a directing creative choice. I mean, I know it was probably written in the dialogue, but I, I wonder if. Uh, if that wasn't a director saying, I'll oh, put an extra beat in there, put an extra beat yeah. in there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was uh, that, that was it. But, hey, look, it worked because Tenzin felt it. And, and this is where that episode, as we said at the beginning, it's not, you know, flash in the pan. It's not like big fireworks. No, it's in those little acting moments and that you as a viewer are, are being swept into the intensity with it and, and you realize with the character what that means and the whole thing. Like it means that Charlie is looking for something, he knows about something. And if you put yourself in Leo's position, uh, your circle of 17 just went to like 19, 20, 22, and it grows and grows and grows right there. Yeah, absolutely. What about? Sam and his little thing here with Ainsley and, and they would just drop Ainsley in just just basically for this which I thought was kind of interesting in terms of using guest stars um, sparingly but I think that Sam was still totally willing to go through with it until Ainsley convinced him that it wouldn't have 
do any good no matter what. I mean, he would be willing to be disbarred. I don't think he would have any problem with that. But the fact that his testimony wouldn't be allowed, that was the kind of the, the straw for him where it's like, okay, there's nothing I can do about this now. Yeah, and I love, in, in guest stars, there's Babish, but I have to say, my favorite guest star of all the series is Ainsley Hayes. She, so good, so great since the beginning of, well, since uh, this season, obviously. But the whole thing is that they go from chit-chat about, you know, air on a G-string and so on, and it's funny, to brass tacks seamlessly. And it's okay. It feels not like a flaw of the script. No, it's how Sam and Ainsley would be doing their thing, you know, their little banter. Okay, it's fun, but then let's go right to business. And even Sam opening up, because seriously, to open up as he was going to, as he was going to, and then Ainsley to stop him, but seriously stop him. We do not have privilege. I cannot hear what you're going to say. And uh, that's one thing, too, that uh, Sorkin uses a lot. The, the lawyer, you know, the lawyer privilege, it, it's something interesting. And he even uses it, again, in the newsroom. Uh, I have one scene in season three where, you know, uh, I'm going to take a, return, a retainer and she gets $20 to have the, that privilege with the lawyer. That's, you know, that kind of little funny scene that happens. Uh -huh. Sorkin uses a lot that, you know, lawyer privilege and information it's not the first time and it's not the last yeah and i love how you know the fact that oliver had already explained that to the president earlier uh, makes you understand exactly why ainsley is begging him to stop um yeah. you don't you don't need a further explanation of that she doesn't have to say the same thing you and i don't serve privilege uh she doesn't have to uh because no. it, it's been already been delivered so well by babbage that um, it, it's something that you instantly recognize. Um, the one kind of downer for me in this part of the episode uh, was Josh and Donna just a little bit because some, some, of the, uh, some of the jokes between Josh and Donna towards the end of this season seem to get a little more heavy-handed on the sexual side than they ever had before. And actually, that is where my... my I'm, uh, uh, my name is Yannick, and I'm, French is my main language. English was learned afterwards. Uh, so at first, second, and third, and the number of times, I never caught that, you know, that line. And now with the notes that we've changed prior to the podcast, I, I got the, I got the joke there. And it's true. It's quite on the sexual intense. But you know what? It's, I think that I heard a couple of other ones from Josh to Donna that were in that same sense, but not, um, or even it was with, uh, it was with uh, CJ, I think, uh, that uh, he's doing some, you know, that type of, of, of joking. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that's his way of doing it, but it's true that it was intense in the sexual uh, intensity. Yeah. It made me just a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm one of those people that actually, you know, I, as I've watched the series, uh, you know, blossom and continued to watch it, I, I try to keep myself from that because it, then I start thinking about the whole, oh, no, they're going to do the friends trope gag. It's going to be too soon. It's going to be too late. We we don't want that. Um, but 
I I ended up uh, kind of rooting for Josh and Donna. But when Josh would do things like this, I would just kind of facepalm a little bit. Is like, oh, that's that's a good that that that, that is a good way of saying it. It's a facepalm moment. That's true. Yeah, uh, she didn't take it too bad. <laughs> she didn't take it too bad. But there's a if we keep on with uh, with um, Donna and Josh uh, at that point, it's not in the clip, but she's doing her fake mess phone message about, uh, you know, the guy that has to take another job and so on. And then Josh uses, in my own opinion, a flawed explanation saying that, yeah, well, in Mexico, they won't, you know, they, 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 they are going to buy the American made cloth, you know, clothing and so on. I'm sorry. I don't think that Mexico and Mexican will buy clothes that are Produced in the United States, they're going to buy Mexican because it's going to be a lot cheaper. Yeah, it's not going to be you know. So that's where I was. Okay, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know how that got in the script, but it really made completely no sense. Uh, uh, the, the you know the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, is good to get stuff cheaper from somewhere, but not necessarily to sell your is stuff that can be built in Mexico or produced in Mexico, uh, they're not going to sell American-made clothing. That I'm pretty sure. And there's one other thing I love that Donna used, not an AA quote about, uh, you know, to do things over and over and expect a different result is, you know, insanity. But it was from Einstein, if people didn't know. It's not the AA that created that quote. Right up. Very cool. Very cool. What else do you have on this clip? Anything? Oh, yeah. There's one last thing. Uh, when Sam ends the conversation with Ainsley, and Ainsley's, you know, just pointing in that, uh, well, you never know, you know, your liability shield could be, you know, not necessarily on ball. And Sam, you know, that last line, he's not being smug. It's just he's super confident in his work, and he says, no, it will hold for sure. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's no question in my mind. I, the reason why we've seen uh, Leo even say to his daughter, you know, we put the smart guys, the guys that can do stuff, we put them in the opposition arguments with us so that we can figure out how to argue with that. Um, so I I didn't look at it as smug either. I totally looked at it as like char- uh, Sam is just that good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, why don't we move on to clip four? where Josh explains to Donna why he wants to help Mexico, CJ's plea to Toby about the leak leads to concern, and the president and Charlie talk about the situation with the medical form. An eighth grade social studies textbook. Turn in the page, I flag. The Land Lease Act. Yeah, simply put, a loan of arms to Russia and Britain with the understanding that they pay us back when the war was over. And he said this, he said, if your neighbor's house is on fire, you don't haggle over the price of your garden hose. There are too many things in the world we can't do. Mexico's on fire. Why help them? Because we can. Do they agree to the money? Yeah. Okay. Toby, I've issued a blanket email to 1,100 staffers about the incident. I've asked the president to let me make a clarification for tomorrow morning. I've seen to it. It'll be on page one. We're not going to lose an inch of ground in the negotiation. No, we're not. 
No, we're not. And you knew that since this morning. Yes, I did. So what's this about? This is small potatoes. I want to know when the big potatoes come, are we up for it? Big potatoes? Toby, we ran for election. We lived through Leo and booze, Sam and prostitutes, India and Pakistan, Colombia and a failed rescue mission. Are there bigger potatoes someplace? No. Toby? Yeah. Why are you lying to me? My youngest daughter's got a big mouth. No, she doesn't, sir. She wanted me to be on the lookout for certain physical signs so I could tell the first lady. We won't discuss this anymore for the time being. It'll be public soon enough. And the more conversations you have with me, the more lawyers you're going to have to talk to. And they bill in an hour would you take home in a week, so we won't discuss it except to say this. You're going to be subpoenaed. I'm confident in your loyalty to me. I'm confident in your love for me. If you lie to protect me, if you lie just once, if you lie just a little, if you lie because you can't stand what's happening to me and the people making it happen, if you ever, ever lie, you're finished with me. You understand? Yes, sir. Say you understand. I understand, sir. Go back to work. Yes, sir. Is there anything you need? I need you to go to law school and graduate as soon as humanly possible. Yes, sir. Oh man, Snuffy did such a good job with that last little bit there. Uh, I I love when he when he brings the strings in the string stuff as well. I don't like the synth stuff so much. I'm not a big, never have been a big fan of that. But the uh, the string stuff always gets me, and I know that they're synthesized strings too. But it just works so well. He he does do the Copeland thing very well when he wants to, and uh, the message, you know, as we've both noted in our notes here, I noticed that. It's just amazing to me, you know, there, there are two key moments that really point to the real father son relationship that Bartlett and, and Charlie have. And this is, of course, one of them. And one of them is the shibboleth with the knives, the way he's passing down the, the family knives to Charlie. But this one was even more powerful to me because this was a very stern message made out of complete love. And, and that always gives me the feels. Yes, uh, you, you, and you completely agree. You feel the love that the president has towards Charlie. And it's exactly as you said, it's the shibboleth again, but much, you know, in a deeper sense of there's a lesson here. Not just, you know, I love you and I want you to feel like my son. It's I'm talking to you as a father, not as your boss, even though it's if you ever, ever lie and so on. And I, by listening to the clip again, I, something just popped in my mind. It reminds me how a speech is made 
you know, oratory. Uh, for example, when Toby in the second big block of Tuesday that they've done earlier this season, right? And that, that Toby explains to the police officer how a speech is done. That you're going to do a symmetry, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Well, at that point, the president uses that type of, of structure into how he says it to Charlie to make sure that the message comes through. That is one thing I just realized uh, the way, like, if you, if you lie for this, if you lie for that, if you lie for this, if you ever, ever lie, it, it creates that sense of this is an important message and you have to follow it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That that's a great uh, that's a great catch, Yannick. I love that. In the meantime, Toby himself <laughs> is uh, he's not able to form much of a speech at all. CJ's just totally on to him uh, by the time they get to the end of this. And uh, there's a, even in that episode where Toby does his thing about oratory. Um, you know, there's a line in there where he, where, uh, CJ says, you, you really want to kiss me for not getting the TV cameras in there. Right. And he says, when don't I? And I've realized, I've come to realize that, um, Toby was really hard on CJ about certain things at the beginning. And I think it's because him and CJ are maybe the two closest staffers that don't have some kind of sexual tension going on between them. Uh, oh, I, I think they have the absolutely. closest friendship, the closest plutonic or even brother sisterhood kind of friendship. Exactly. exactly. It's almost brother sister that they, they have that strength and you have it at the, uh, the shadow of two gunmen. You see the root of it a bit, but you know that they know each other from way past. Right. And, and it, it, it shows up. And now it's almost like exactly a big brother that's kind of smacking on you know, the younger sister of, uh, you know, go and do this, go and do that, go and do this and do that. And then CJ at the end, you know, hey, I'm Spartacus. That was not in the clear place. <laughs> Whoever saw it. <laughs> Look, Toby, I'm Spartacus, okay? Let's cut the crap. What is this? And I love the way that he does it. But I think that he pushes the big potatoes just too much. And then he realizes it. But then he's a bit flustered, like, uh, no, no, there's nothing here. But he knows that, okay, soon CJ will have to be in the loop. Like, he cannot keep that from her. Most probably that's going to happen sooner than later, let's say. Yes, exactly, because, you know, uh, he's in the communications business. Her as a press secretary is in the communications business. They almost have to be people right close to the, I mean, outside of, Higher up administrators, Leo himself already knew. Toby was the, was the second person out of the staff, I guess, to find out, other than Charlie, which we found out. And uh, you would suspect that Josh is going to have to find out. But uh, it has to go through the communications staff pretty soon because a message has got to have to be thought about it if something, you know, uh, in the eventuality that, that something might be released. Um, the one thing that gets me, though, is, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about uh, all this father uh, son love. But I and I appreciate that that Bartlett is doing this in, in the way that he is. And that's the kind of guy you would want to be elected president, I, I would think. Um, but with all of this MS thing coming to the forefront, did it ever dawn to you whether uh he should have ever been elected in the first place. Would he not? Should he? But would he have been elected in the first place if he had come out with this information, say before the convention? 
I would say, and that is perhaps my naivete from being from Canada, I think that if it was in the primaries that he would have come out, I don't think people would have not voted for him. Uh, especially if, you know, during the primaries, you have the time to explain what's the situation, what's happening, and so on, and, and what it means to be in relapsing remitting. Just the two words by themselves are not like secondary progressive, that's the other type. Uh, so relapsing, remitting, means that it's not in full effect, it's not something that will, you know, hit you right there and then. And on top of it, it just promotes the fact that John Hoynes, which is a great candidate, we know his flaws by by being from, you know, uh, in the inside, and we have some, some internal knowledge about John Hoynes, but to the general public, most probably John Hoynes is seen as being, you know what, if Bartlett is not there at one point, well, John Hoynes would be a great president. So I think that it wouldn't be the issue at that point. The big issue would be if he did not say it during the primaries and then it comes out in the general. Then forget it. It's done deal, ball game is done. It's another Republican that goes in, for sure. And now they understand the, the weight of the situation, which is on top of it, now you've been elected, you have that information that did not come out for three years because he's been two years. Actually, he's finishing his third year, no? He's, uh, he's made his third State of the Union, so... That's it. Yeah. So he's finishing his third year, so it's been at least four years that it didn't come out. Right. And he's been running. So, no, that it's a big, big, big issue. But I think that if it was during the primaries, prior to the convention, during, you know, primary season... Think they would have passed. All right. Very cool. What do you what, what do you say? I I'm trying to think of myself as a voter. What I would think, and I, and I hate to to seem prejudicial or anything. I I just don't know. I look at today's political climate, and forgive me for that. I just can't see in today's political climate that he would ever have a chance. Um, it's just because um, opinions now are so swayed by sound bites that I think that that would have done him in. Uh, rather than facts, at least to me. I give it to you. Let's say that 2016 primary season, yeah, most probably it would have been, let's say, well, no, because he's not the age of Bernie Sanders. You know, that's the whole thing. Uh, uh, That's where, and it cannot be Hillary Clinton, for example, because she's been running for many things for so long that it doesn't, you know, make sense. Um, Yeah, okay, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Now, I I grant you, I I tend to agree with you that in, uh, an election in the 90s, I, um, you know, and I, let's face it, Bartlett is modeled partially after Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he probably would have, uh, he, he might have had a better chance of surviving, just not in today's political climate. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to grant you that. Uh, that's, that's a good assessment. And by the way, speaking of, you know, political uh, situation and so on, there's one thing I just realized in this episode. Uh, is it normal office equipment to have an eighth grade social study textbook <laughs> lying around in the uh, deputy chief of staff office? <laughs> I wonder who he sent down to the Library of Congress for that. 
<laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think he would. Although I don't know, it's Josh. Who knows? He might have one laying around just for, you know because of some kind of crazy thing. And at one point, to be able to say to Donna, "Hey, look at this page," and so on. Yeah, that's a good, good possibility. <laughs> and maybe even uh, to add just a little further, a little jab at her that it's an eighth grade social studies book as opposed to a college. Uh, history yeah. book or something like that. Uh, I could almost see him doing it just for the fun of that, taking a jab at her. But his, his emotion behind, you know, the whole thing with with Mexico and why he's doing it. I think that not only did that endear me to him for a moment, because Josh doesn't very often get to tell the moral of the story. Most of the time he's being told the moral of the story by Leo or by Bar President Bartlett. So it was fun for it to see him do that. But not only that, I get to back and I think about that, that whole equipment line. And I think maybe it's moments like this why Donna lets that stuff pass. Yeah, I think that it's, it's for those, you know, nice moments. It's the way that he explains it. It's not like a ha-ha in your face. It's more, this is the reason why. As a, a nice gesture and why we're doing it. But I'm going to give you another time where where Josh is the uh, the one bringing the moral out of the story when he brings up the Antiquities Act yes. in first season. That's another time, and he even does it to the president. Yes, that's true. That's very true. That's a good one to call up. So two out of, uh, what, 45? Uh, exactly. Doing well. It's not often. <laughs> but I'm glad that you could think of that because I honestly, I had forgotten about that. Very good. Very cool. Let's go to the last clip where Babish agrees to stay on the MS case and sets forth a plan of approach. Good evening, Mr. President. Well, I've got good news for you, Oliver. Turns out I didn't do everything right after all. Zoe had to fill out a family history form for Georgetown, and because she was 17, a parent had to sign it. And she left off the MS? Yeah. And you signed it? I'd give anything if I had. It was Lady Macbeth. There's a bad moon rising, Oliver. We both know it. They're going to take me out for a walk. This isn't what you signed up for. Leo begged you to take this job. This isn't what you signed up for. If you leave, I'd appreciate it if you did it now so it doesn't look like my lawyer bailed on me when the rain starts. No one's going to hold it against you. Well, I appreciate that, Mr. President. If I stay, will you do exactly what I tell you to do? I guess it depends. No, I'm afraid it can't depend, sir. What would my first step be? First, tell your staff. Yeah. Then, decide how to make a public announcement. Yeah. Then, order the attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor. Not just any special prosecutor. The most blood-spitting, Bartlett-hating Republican in the bar. He's going to have an unlimited budget and a staff like an army. The new slogan around here is going to be, bring it on. 
He's going to have access to every piece of paper you ever touched. If you invoke executive privilege one time, I'm gone. An assistant DA in Ducksworth wants to take your deposition, you're on the next plane. A freshman congressman wants your testimony, you'll sit in his kitchen. They want to drag you to The Hague and charge you with war crimes, what do we say? Bring it on. I'll be in my office for a while if you need me. It's it's a short clip, but it just encapsulates everything that I love about Oliver Babbage. He's he doesn't you know he's like we're only we're going to do it this my way or the highway, and then he presents the most sane, tough, and capable plan that any, I think anybody could in a situation like this. Tough as nails, like wow, that guy is okay. I'm on board, but you have to be on board with my plan. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's not, uh, oh, I'm in front of the president. No, I'm your counselor right now. This is a match. This is how we're going to do it. Amazing. It reminds that that scene reminds me a bit, but in the darker side of Led Bartlett and Bartlett. Uh, you have that type of, you know, say it, you know, and say it again. And you have bring it on, bring it on. You have to take it as a motto. Mr. President, this is the way that it's going to be. Bring it off. Uh, you know, we're not going to hide anymore. We're going to plan it well, and we're going to bring it off. Absolutely, I, I love that too, and I, I I do like the way you compare it to the Let Bartlett Be Bartlett moment because it's it's kind of uh, I guess the best way to put it is the galvanizing point. It's the place where uh, where you're either going to do this or you're not, and that's kind of what you get. Plus, we don't have to have a bunch of people uh, saying, I serve at the pleasure of the president, like 20 times in a row. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's true. And, uh, I have to say that was the cheesy part out of the part <laughs> that uh, I could have you know, skipped a bit, and actually they didn't do it again. They just kept the president you know, as, get yourself pumped, because this is what you're going to need to do for the next X amount of time. Uh, and again, as you brought it up earlier again for the, um, for the, uh, the score, you had some strings and then the synth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that came in. Uh, Snuffy does an amazing, amazing score. But this time, I thought that he copied himself from somebody's going to emergency, somebody's going to jail. It was that type of, you know, that, like, right. very similar. So I was, okay, perhaps he did it in you know, a short period of time, those couple of episodes, because that was not that far away that he did that episode, so that's why. Excellent. Anything else about the episode in general or about this clip? Uh, the episode in general, well, we're going to you know, look at it uh, when we're going to talk about the scoring in the special uh, scale that we have. I think. All right. Well, let's get to that. And folks, as you know, we do have a special 10-point rating scale that I use. I don't require my guests to. I don't require you to use it when you're rating the episodes. But I go by this scale. It appears to me that Yannick has decided to go by my scale as well. Let's hear your rating first, Yannick. Well, I'm going to go with a definite. 
definite number nine, a very strong nine, uh, that uh, coming even quoting from your own scale, it's a gotta see that one. This is an episode that I might cite to convince people why the series is so, so good on a whole and is one I would seek out to watch or rewatch. This is, I really quoted straight from your scale. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Now, folks, you too can see what all of those ratings are if you just go to sorkincast.wordpress.com. And I'm on the exact same level as you. I, You know, there is a lot of serialized stuff in this, but this episode does so well of kind of bringing you up to speed about the MS simply because Oliver is having to be brought up to speed about the MS that you don't really have to worry about that much. And the, the, the way the characters are presented is very typical of the characters themselves, uh, in the other situations as well. So it makes you, uh, get acquainted with them very well. And I, that's why I wouldn't have a problem recommending this episode to a complete stranger. And I, and I feel that, um, Oliver Babbage just really steals the show in this particular one, and that would win me over if I had just stumbled onto this series probably for the first time uh, back in 2001. If this had been the first episode that I'd seen, I'd say, wow, man, that's really cool. I got to go back and, and, and watch these and catch up and see where, where this is going. So uh, I came to a nine as well. And Yannick, I really want to thank you for joining me uh, this week. I hope that maybe sometime in the future I can have you back. This was a great, enlightening conversation for me. And I'm sure lots of folks out there in Internet land would love to talk to you about West Wing or Aaron Sorkin in general as well. So how could people do that? Well, they could reach me on Twitter. I'm uh, at, uh, at RealYanan. Uh, so R-E-A-L-Y-A-N-A-N. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the West Wing and some other uh, Sorkin's, uh, you know, oeuvre, as we could call them. Um, I just started to watch Sports Night, actually. I've never seen it before, and I just got access to it. So right now I'm, I'm watching him, uh, binging him to uh, have my feel of it. Uh it shows that it's an earlier work. <laughs> That's okay. But uh, you still see the seed, you know, of Sorkin in the back, and uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, and one of the things that's so remarkably, remarkable to me about Sorkin shows is is he gets kind of attached to particular actors, and then he carries them through. For instance, Felicity Huffman's a big one in the sports night. We saw her in an earlier season of season two of uh, this show, The West Wing. Uh, she played the, uh, I guess... I think it's the chief, chief of staff of the uh, Senate uh, majority, I think. Yes, I think that is and it. he's a Republican, obviously. Yeah. So uh, I, if I recall correctly, it was on the leadership breakfast. Yes, on the leadership breakfast, that was the one. And, of course, everybody knows Joshua Molina came from Sports Night over to West Wing later on. Um, I even found something out about Newsroom, which was interesting. There's a voice in the pilot of the oil rig inspectors that is Jesse Eisenberg playing that guy. You never see him, but you hear his voice on the phone as, as Will McAvoy's talking to him. And, of course, he ended up uh, being in the social network uh, in yeah. Sorkin's play there, so or his teleplay there. So uh, that that was really interesting uh, to see all all of the connections uh, of Sorkin, and, and some of them I'm sure are just accidents or, or fortuitous, but uh, some of them I'm pretty sure they're not. Well, there's one that you will perhaps not uh, realize too. Uh, there's the Canadian reporter in CJ's uh, press room. 
He's actually a, a producer, well, a, a technical guy in Sports Night uh, as well. I don't remember what's the name of the actor, but uh, I don't know if you know which actor, which character I'm talking about in the West Wing. He's a, a journalist in the press room, but he's being from Canada, and at one point, CJ makes a joke about, uh, like, uh, yeah, your, um, your Thanksgiving is in May. No, it's in October, but uh, <laughs> so on and so forth. Uh, pretty funny. <laughs> Very good. Very cool. Well, Yannick, thanks again for joining me, man. And reminder, folks, next week is Season 2, Episode 20, The Fall's Gonna Kill Ya. If you have any feedback regarding Season 2 of The West Wing, please get it to me by July 12th, 2016, so that I can share it with the rest of our listeners when we do our feedback podcast, which will come out the following Sunday. How do you do that? Sorkincast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at Sorkincast, or you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840. All of that will be included in the feedback podcast, as well as your nominations for the favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character and guest star of season two we call those the west wing season two awards and that'll be presented in the feedback podcast as well in the meantime this is matt saying thanks so much for listening and take care find all of the back episodes links and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com leave the podcast a written review at our itunes or stitcher store pages to submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkincast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV Network.